I used to say multi-factor authentication at the edge was was a big barrier for the threat actor to get over. That's no longer, <laughs> can't say that anymore. It's more like a small fence. And now you got to look at how do you manage your privileges and how do you conduct IT operations inside of your wire and how would a threat do it if they were an insider? And then what controls do you have to be able to, to detect that activity because they're going to be using IT tools and they're going to look like they're coming in with a legitimate account. From Exabeam, this is the new CISO, a show about the people who lead IT security teams, the challenges they face, and how they overcome them. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to hear our new episodes first. I'm Steve Moore, and today I speak with Jeff Schilling, Global CISO for Teleperformance. Jeff has already shared his career journey on our show. Now he's here to cover another crucial topic for CISOs, insider threats and the attackers behind them. With credential-based attacks on the rise, Jeff joins us to share his take on what he refers to as the flattening of this evolving threat. The greater the defensive capability, the more likely the adversary will need to become an insider. So what are the ABCs of bad actors? Can you wait three years to implement an insider threat program? And which strategies are being deployed to compromise your employees' credentials? Okay, Jeff, thanks again for coming back on the show. You've been a multi-time guest, but for those that might not know you, if you would, introduce yourself, please. Sure, Jeff Schilling, and I'm the global CISO for Teleperformance. Uh, we're a customer experience and digital integrated business services company based out of Paris, France, but we have locations in over 91 countries with well over 400,000 employees. And we provide basically customer experience services for about 800 of the Fortune 1000 companies in the world. And so um, looking forward to the conversation today. And I think we got a great topic for the audience. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just thinking back about how we met ages ago. And I think we co-presented about sort of resp incident response or building out of analytic capabilities or SOC management or something on that take. And that was, man, that might have been more than 10 years ago, if I remember right. Yeah, that was uh, High Trust. You and I used to always share a stage at High Trust when they wanted to get some people to talk about something other than just compliance and talk about the actual operational processes. And so, uh, yeah, you and I did that, I think, at least two to three years in a row. It was a great time. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's funny. And I think then you've been on this show, I think this is number three, at least, maybe four. I, my memory is not the best, but you've certainly been here and uh, well represented uh, many times. And so I'm really happy to have you back again. This show's a little different just for the listener. Since he's been on before, usually we go to, on kind of a journey on career and kind of good and bad advice. And then we get into a certain topic that sort of builds itself, right? There's not really a plan. Uh, the conversation just sort of creates the topic. This is a little different. Jeff and I saw each other at an event and he mentioned he had some sort of some new uh, research that his team had been doing and, and kind of a new concept. And what we thought we'd do is really position this for the leader to think a little differently about insider threat. So the show's going to feel a little bit different. If you're interested more about Jeff, who's got an, an interesting career, 
search for his name, go back earlier in our show catalog and give his first show a listen as a start. So pause this and go to there or stay with us and uh, listen to what we're going to talk about. So let's jump into this kind of this maybe reformulation of insider threat and the changes we've seen in the last couple of years. Maybe start there, lay the groundwork for us, and then let's get into what the patterns we're seeing later. Sure, absolutely. You know, this is my uh, third company that I've been a CISO for, and I'm, I'm usually brought in, you know, to uh, to build programs. And you know, and the first thing a CISO comes in is they come in with a three year roadmap. And on that three year roadmap, you uh, you know, incrementally every year you want to improve and add more capabilities to to go after more and more sophisticated threats. And as you get into that pyramid of complexity and how well you're implementing your security program, you know, at the top of that complexity pyramid is going after the insider threat and managing the insider threat. If I may be so rude to interrupt, why is, so we have this pyramid, I thought you're going to say pyramid of pain, which is a different kind of a more technical bit, but why at the top of the pyramid is insider threat? Why does it live there? Just for those that haven't thought about it or those, you know, lay the groundwork What's something at the bottom of the pyramid? And then tell us why insider threat would be at the top of it, if you would. Sure. So uh, we, we used to categorize threats in very simple terms. I used to call them A, B, and C actors, with C actors being, and C doesn't stand for commodity, it just happens to <laughs> start with C, but C being the lowest level actors with rudimentary tools and capabilities, maybe some malware that they downloaded off, the, off of the internet. But there's a, you know, at the base of that, threat pyramid, there are a lot more of those types of actors. And then as you move up the skill level to the B actors, the B actors are more organized criminal gangs with usually custom tools or modified tools that they've built to help them defend or to evade most security signature-based tools. And then when you get to the top level of the skill pyramid is the A actors, and that is the high-end criminal gangs, many of which also will contract themselves out or make themselves available to state actors, or some of them are former state actors, that's at the lower part of that A grid. And then you have the actual state-sponsored actors that have the full resources of, of states, of nation states, to help them build their capabilities. And when you get to that apex, at the A actor, their method is to basically become an insider. And so they're no longer using tools. They're no longer using malware, you know, especially after they get up, get past the first or second stage of the attack. They're actually living off the land and they're using the same IT tools that your company may use to manage your environment. And they have basically become insiders. And, and a lot of times when you get to that A-level actor, that threat actor, when they're unable to get remote access through, you know, using the tools and techniques that they can normally infiltrate a unit instead of giving up and taking their tools and going home, if it, you know, because typically A actors go after very specific targets, they will actually start looking to hire insiders and turn insiders. So obviously when you're building a security program, you know, you definitely want to be able to prevent the C-level actors from having any success. You want to be able to catch and respond to the B actors because they are probably, especially in the civilian, hey, I come from a military background, for those who don't know, but in the civilian sector, the B actors are probably the biggest threats and the ones that we hear the most about out there when it comes to causing 
impact both with ransomware as well as with data breaches and other activities. Then the A actors are typically more quiet and you don't hear about them as much because, you know, they're, they're actually working not to get caught and they take very deliberate measures to cover their tracks. So that's kind of the framework that we had before. And as you build your security program and you keep getting that ability to resist higher and higher up that skill level, you want to drive the skill level up to the point where, you know, there's not, obviously there's not nearly as many A actors as there are B actors as there are C actors. And so you keep driving that skill level up to get to those A actors. And then what you hope is that, I mean, and I, I know that hope is, is not a method, according to a couple of famous Army generals, but, but you, you hope that you start winning the numbers game and that you won't become a targeted organization, if that makes sense. It absolutely does. And I can see this as sort of a rubric of or, or a graphical indicator, maybe for a new security leader, a new CISO. Uh, I really like the A, B, and C sort of method. Obviously, this is changing and, and being modified all the time. But conceptually, sort of pinning your program against this, it would be a, a I'm seeing a graphic in my mind where you talk about what are my capabilities internally? So what do we have? Uh, what are the kinds of things we can see and not see? What are the, the our abilities to uh, identify and respond and sort of clean up? So are we completely ignorant to this type of uh, actor grade or do we have pieces of this? Uh, I can see it as a, as a planning tool, as a visual indicator of readiness in a way. So I, I really like this. And I think the thing that may have changed and that you were alluding to is certainly amongst these high or you know, maybe even lower A actors, I really like the concept of becoming an insider. We often think of insider threat just as, well, we have a, a disgruntled internal employee. It's not so much that they may want to either become the employee or maybe turn or bribe. But from a defender standpoint, you don't really know which of those conditions. You just know that it's going to happen. Uh, you don't really know the pretext until towards the middle or end of the investigation. So there's this burden of defense I talk about all the time that you don't really know. You just have to be able to identify and try to figure out intent along the way. I don't know if you've got a, a thought or an additional opinion on that. Yeah, it's definitely the most complex threat actor group to deal with, which is why it's typically at that highest level of maturity that you work to as you work through your roadmap of your security program as you do that incremental improvement year over year. But the threat hasn't sat back and stopped innovating. And there's been a lot of things over the last couple of years that I think has really collapsed that model such that I think the new CISO needs to start thinking about insider threat in the A-level actors, while they may not be have the all of the finesse and experience of the nation-state actors, many of the techniques that they use are have the same strategy of coming in without using malware and getting rogue access with a rogue machine and you know with with valid credentials. You know, and that that has become the access broker method of du jour today. And we've seen this with a lot of very prominent security incidents that have been very public over the last, I would say about the last 18 months, and especially within the last year, that this has become the way that these threat actors have evolved. And it's really because it's a victim, we're a little bit of a victim of our own success. You know, most companies that have invested in 
you know, the right technologies in their organ, you know, in their organization, you know, especially endpoint detection and response has made it much tougher for the tools that the commodity actors used to use and the B level, even the more organized B level criminal gangs to use, you know, because I mean, it just, it's just risen the bar that they've actually taken a step back and said, Hey, let's go back to some of the manual techniques that we used early on. And I think that that's what we see when we look at a lot of these major incidents that have happened, major ransomware incidents. I won't call any of them out by name and, and data breaches and, and reportable incidents all have come from these actors that are starting out with the insider threat approach. What do you think you alluded to it earlier? And I want to unpack the statement you made mention that sort of world events over the past two or three years have sort of flattened that actor grade at the top. And you kind of alluded to the fact that, or maybe I could make a question of, you know, will B grade, so to speak, in this sort of common attack window, maybe begin using these techniques because we've, we've seen it in the past, right? So elements of attacks that are really a derivative of espionage or nation state work sort of find their way into criminal groups. And we've, I've seen that personally happen and accelerate over the last, I'd say, four years. But what has led to the flattening? You mentioned us being a victim of our own success. I think that could be one thing. Security might be getting better in some ways. But you're seeing that the techniques have flattened. What did you mean by that? So what I mean is, you know, uh, say commodity actors used to use a scanner. They download off the internet. They would scan the internet, look for a vulnerable server or open RDP, and then they'd go attack that, and then they'd work from there. And they would use malware that they downloaded off of the internet. Uh, may may send out phishing emails, but they're usually not very well crafted. When you got to the B level actors, they sent out very targeted phishing emails, very well crafted. And then they usually had a, either a, a malicious link or an attachment payload to that. And then they use that to get their initial foothold inside of, inside of an organization. And then with the A level actors, you know, we see, we used to see a lot of supply injects. You know, we, there's a couple of famous ones with solar winds and some of the Microsoft exploits that happened, you know, all in that time frame. And that's typically what you see from a nation sponsored. Now, what we're seeing is that a lot of these techniques are not working as, or the uh, supply inject one is still very effective, but very hard to pull off. But the phishing emails, the scanning and looking for open vulnerabilities, you know, we have the same scanners, we, we do the same searches. You know, it's getting harder for those commodity and B actors to use the tools that they had before. So they're going back to using things such as social engineering calls. And I think that this is a pretty prominent TTP that has got a technique, tactic, or procedure that has gotten pretty wide coverage of calling in sounding very convincingly like they're the IT service desk and they're calling a remote worker to fix their VPN problem. And essentially through that conversation, you know, and again, you know, we used to not be worried about these type of attacks because it didn't scale well. Obviously a threat actor can't you know, attack you in a thousand different places, you know, they can attack you in a couple hundred maybe. So they're going back to, to the tactics of the old fashioned call. And what they've been able to achieve is something pretty remarkable, something that I thought we would be able to sit behind pretty comfortably for a while is they've been able to trick 
users into giving up their multi-factor authentication codes, either through push code or through providing that second one-time passcode. And then they get that initial access, that authorized initial access. And the reason why the attack surface has changed is because, you know, during COVID, many companies shifted a lot of their people to remote work. And as they are now coming out of COVID and the risk of COVID is, has gotten, you know, down to where it's manageable, people are starting to come back to office, but the residual of people out there are still working remotely or working remotely two to three days a week. You still have to have that, that remote access. And that's what the threat actors have taken advantage of. And that's how they've shifted their tactics. One thing you can count on the threat is they never set still and they're never going to stop. And they've gotten smart and they've created some. And again, you know, the multi-factor capabilities are working exactly the way that they are designed to work. Um, the problem is, is that the humans are being socially engineered, either through a social engineering call or an SMS text to their phone. You know, and it gives that threat actor that first initial access into your environment as an insider. And so that's why I say that the the pyramid has collapsed. The techniques have changed. And now insider and end user behavior anomaly detection is one of the key things that you have to focus on very early on in your security roadmap. I find it fascinating that this is where we've ended up. People have been been tricked forever, right? There's always been sort of con people out there. They're, you know, conning you for different information over the phone. I wouldn't have thought that this would have been as successful as it has been. Even though people make mistakes and click on links, I kind of expect that. But I'm still surprised that people are answering calls, you know, giving their, maybe their password, but then even their token codes or their push code over the phone. I find that that's amazing. I believe it, but I'm I'm just stunned that that's the thing. And I tell you, it is truly an attack on the individual. And again, it's come to this because I think that our security technology has gotten better, that this is the, the last piece that is the most difficult to secure is the individual using the machine. And, you know, you can't get by with only, you know, getting 98% right. You know, you got to get as close to 100% of that security culture around your organization to, to be able to prevent this initial stage of their attack. One of the things I think that is culturally interesting is your company, and whether it's current company or, or prior, you know, had offices all over the world. And culture is oversimplification, kind of a silly statement, but is different all over, meaning everything from language to intonation of, of how you speak company processes, cultural processes. When can you take a phone call? What kind of answers do you get? How likely is the employee to comply to a position of authority or urgency? All that kind of maps out in different ways all over the world. Do you see differences there? Meaning you have an adversary, then you have a target, and the target is in a different country sometimes. Uh, The adversary may or may not be, but they need to know who they're targeting. They need to know where they're calling. They've surely done their research. Does that play into any of this? I mean, certainly language would. You wouldn't take a call in a foreign language, but is there any interesting differentiation there? No, I think the biggest challenge, you know, especially when you're talking to a company like ours, it's 420,000 employees, and we are in 91 countries. 
is you got to make the messages as simple. I mean, it, you know, and it kind of goes back to, to the military career, you know, when the Department of Art, you know, when the Joint Chief of Staff of the Army, when he or she makes a statement across the whole military service, they have to make very, and you know, and everybody speaks English in the U.S. military, you know, they have to make very high-level statements and high-level values that they push down so that's understood by all. And then when you have the language complexity, so to start with, our company has that broad message challenge that we have to be very succinct and very focused on what it is we want our employees to understand about the threat. We can't have them sit through a 30-minute video. You know, we've got to hit them with more bite-sized training. And then we do have to take into account, you know, how does the language translations affect the understanding of the content that we send out? And we typically communicate in 14 different languages. We've got a great staff that helps us work our way through that. From the cultural side, I haven't seen it so much from a nationality standpoint as more of a job function standpoint. There are certain people that are in certain job functions that their job is just to move things along. You know, a help desk person, their job is to move tickets along. And so, you know, we, we do see response differences and, and success differences with people who maybe have job functions. And I don't want to give the threat actors any ideas of where to attack, but where they have the job function of they've got a queue, they need to work through it, and they just want to move to the next task in their workload. So for us, that's why we focus a lot of training as well as a lot of additional monitoring and security controls around our service desk, because we do know that within our organization, that's where that culture exists. And so that's that's one of the things that, that we focus on. One of the things that's a little bit of a differentiation, there's sort of a fork of activity at a certain point. You know, we've covered a lot here about of sort of tricking social engineering leading to an insider threat sort of framework, especially as you begin looking at it as from a defender's burden perspective, right? And thinking of it as how do I build capabilities to understand this better and respond to it better. The thing we haven't talked about yet, and I know you have experience on this, is what happens when that doesn't work? And I think I'm leading you the right way here. If you're unable to trick them with, hey, I've got you, I, I, I need you to help me close this ticket, please sign in. What's sort of the other, maybe not emerging, but the other technique you see that's a little more brute force? It's turning an insider, reaching out to them through social media. I mean, we're all on LinkedIn, you know, and LinkedIn is one of many social media tools that threat actors can use. And, and I'm not really blaming anyone at LinkedIn. It's a it's the tool that we use to communicate with each other, you know, as a business. But that also gives the opportunity for threat actors to do research, to find people in specific positions that they want to approach. And they approach them through multiple means of social media, you know, and it's really also they're very adept at understanding what country their targets in. You know, should I reach out to them on WhatsApp? Should I reach out to them? On Telegram, should I reach out to them on some of the local social media platforms? So that is, okay. So I was thinking in my mind, and sorry to interrupt, I I have a tendency when I jump on something, I try to think of what is the listener likely to think when they hear this. And a lot of it is also what am I thinking? 
to me, it was largely employees that were already working there that, hey, you know, if you don't like your job, if you're disenfranchised, you know, do you have a shitty boss? You know, do you not care about this? Boom. Hey, click this link. We're, we'll hook you up. This is different yet of, hey, we need you. We'll pay you to go get a job. That's almost another category that's less commonly discussed, but pretty fascinating. And my mind immediately goes to, it's important, I think, also maybe not to put, if you deal with contract agencies, to say, hey, we're company X, and these are our contractors that do, I don't know, HVAC or cleaning or trash removal or like that is another, that that's an OPSEC kind of issue, right? That's where my mind goes, but I hadn't thought of that. Unpack that a little more for us, if you would. Yeah, I mean, it's the natural progression. You know, if they can't find a target, then we all have jobs that are out there being listed, you know, open in IT and security. But it's it's not in the realm of possibility. And that's the way the A actors have always operated. If they can't get remote access, they they go after an insider. And when you think about your experience with, with some of the actors that you've dealt with, I'm sure you saw those same TTPs. That's how it evolves. If they can't get access remotely, then the next step is to spark somebody to go get a job in the organization. So not the same, but in the same vein. I don't know if I've ever told anyone this. So before kind of a major problem that I worked on in my past that came from a certain area of the world, they're probably six months, maybe five months prior there happened to be a flood of LinkedIn requests from people also from that area of the world, or at least the image it appeared to be, you know, very attractive women from that area of the world were popping into my LinkedIn. And I find, and I have not been able to prove or disprove, but it is my strong belief that several of the groups that were working on that problem set one of the techniques they were using, and there was multiple groups, was this sort of LinkedIn avenue, you know, sort of phishing uh, using attractive profiles of people on LinkedIn. Yeah, I, I thought I, um, I was reading on a uh, open source, one of my daily reads that you look at information security, you know, kind of what's going on. And I saw one instance where a, and I, I never liked to talk specifically publicly about someone else's data security incident. So I won't mention which one it was, but, you know, it was mentioning that root cause was an elaborate scheme to reach out as a legitimate recruiter that was looking to bring people into the organization. It, it was a, it was a very elaborate setup to get people to give up information and to, you know, it was basically running like what was a recruiting scam. So that's the first time I've seen that one or heard of that one. But that's, you know, just another level, another layer to the onion to pill as you build your security program and figure out how are we going to prepare ourselves for that, you know, these types of avenues of approach. Um, to me, they're the most complex that I've dealt with since I've worked in government. So it's a uh, something that you have to like I say, you know, the whole premise of this, you know, the reason why I'm coming on here is for those who used to think like me that, hey, the insider threat is something I can get to year three of my three-year program, that day is now. 
and you have to add that into your security strategy in the first year to just make incremental progress. And, you know, at the end of the day, they're all still trying to do the same thing. They're trying to get control of your IT organization so that they can do whatever they want. They can do a data breach and then sell the data or extort you for the data, or they can do an enterprise-wide ransomware. They basically want to become insider IT people. And you got to plan that into your program early on. Look at things like hard tokens for elevated privileges. That's still, I mean, I used to say multi-factor authentication at the edge was was a big barrier for the threat actor to get over. That's no longer, I can't say that anymore. It's more like a small fence. And now you got to look at how do you manage your privileges and how do you conduct IT operations inside of your wire? And how would a threat do it if they were an insider? And then what controls do you have to be able to, to detect that activity? Because they're going to be using IT tools and they're going to look like they're coming in with a legitimate account. Well, they will be. I mean, they're, they're, that's the thing, right? I mean, that's the, that's the thing that's really a pain in the ass to figure out. I learned this the hard way. And they are going to use correctly provisioned IT accounts. Sometimes if they're good enough, they'll make their own as well. I've seen that happen. You and I both in the process, depending on how, depending on how owned you are. And they're going to use your own tools. They're going to use your own, for purposes of lateral movement, there's a number of tools they're going to use. You can look at the MITRE ATT&CK framework and see some of those. You know, there's commonly 15, 16, 17-ish, but it's all tied back to a credential. Um, they're going to use your own often backup or file management tools, your own cloud services in many cases. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. They're even going to visit, and I, I've mentioned this before, but they are going to read your own internal documentation often. There's another kind of section of discussion, and it's really a, a forward-leaning opinion that I'd, I'd like to hear from you on where is this going in terms of speed? You mentioned earlier that this isn't going to scale well, and I have some opinions on what will allow it to scale. But before we get to that, a specific point, is there anything else that, that I missed or that you'd like to share, anecdote or a topic or something for an executive to think about that I didn't ask? Now, I think I do want to end on a note of hope. There are things you can do that are quick and can help with this problem set. You know, multi-factor is a very difficult thing for people to get through, but what we've discovered is that these is that the new threat has figured out ways around that. However, if you go to using things like number matching and, and multiple, you know, no matter what type of MFA provider you use, most of them allow number matching. And what that requires you to do is to get the number off of your screen of the screen that's logging in and then put it into your mobile device. That is a much harder TTP for threat actors to, to use to socially engineer their way through multi-factor authentication. And the second piece is you've got to positively identify the machine that is trying to access you remotely. And there are several techniques I won't discuss here openly, but if anybody in the audience knows me and wants to reach out to me or reach out through you to me, I can tell you some of the things that we're doing to make sure that we're tying the person to the machine, to the credentials, and in a multi-factor way before you allow that remote access. And then the last thing that you can do to help with this threat is take your most dangerous privileges first and move those to hard tokens, and then with the eventual goal to get the hard tokens for all your elevated privileges. And then obviously, 
implement technology that allows you to prevent interactive logins with service accounts. It would be the, the last step to do and probably the most complex. That can be very difficult. I think those are all excellent preventative steps. I think the thing I'd add just conceptually is to think about how long does it take your defender to kind of analyze the environment just in basic elements of visibility, basic elements of enrichment, basic elements of understanding things like what might credential misuse look like to you? What might a lateral movement you know, context look like? You mentioned service accounts and interactive login. How quickly can you put that into the hands of the incident responders or, or the SOC analysts? How much of their time is left sort of toiling with kind of low value tasks? You know, so what are you doing from an automation standpoint, not just on response, but sort of that middle piece of analysis to kind of bring that forward, whether that's something that you're working on naturally internally, whether it's an initiative where it's, hey, we're going to we're going to cut out a lot of the garbage that happens. We're going to cut out a lot of noise. The other thing is, is always drive around. I always call it your digital trash truck of, you know, things that are just noisy and may not be an insider threat, but have a mechanism when you find things that look bad, that's just bad IT, to find ways to sort of retire that or silence it or get rid of these sort of things that are likely to clutter up the work queue of an incident responder, you know? So have a mechanism that's an output of the SOC that sort of works to, that can hand over the trash, I think is a really important thing overall, not just for insider threat. Jeff, I can't thank you enough for dropping in and sharing this sort of more pointed discussion around insider threat and what's sort of bringing sort of the flattening of this and really a great way to rethink it. Um, I, I know that the the listeners will appreciate it. And uh, I would encourage anyone, known Jeff a long time, if you do have a question for him, I know he'll reach out and help. If you'd rather reach out to me, that's cool too. We'll get you sorted. But uh, Jeff, thank you so much for for sharing all your experience. I've got one more question for you. It's kind of a recap question, a little bit different since the show's been different, but pursuant to the name of our show, uh, the new CISO, tell us again, probably for the third time, what does being a new CISO mean to you? Well, I think this is probably the answer I gave the last time, but I wasn't born a 56-year-old CISO. I'm not a 60-year-old CISO, and I'm not a 50-year-old CISO. And in uh, order to be the new CISO, you've got to constantly be have your finger on the pulse of what's going on and continuously learn. I love, I learn as much from you as you may have learned from me today. I love being in audiences with other CISOs and doing that seminar learning from others and talking to other smart or people who are smarter than me, actually, and just being a sponge and, and learning from folks. If you're that CISO that is sitting there thinking, I've got this handled i know everything there is to know you may not know everything and and you really have to be in these sessions and and listen to podcasts like yourself i I consume your podcast i consume other podcasts and you got to constantly be learning and be an eternal learner flattered you'd say that Uh, i really appreciate it we all appreciate you contributing to the show and the knowledge base from the community that we hope it represents so thank you again so much jeff thank you that is it for this episode of the new CISO. Thank you for listening. Check out more episodes on xbeam.com forward slash podcast. 
Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to get brand new episodes first.